0: Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Dirt Talk. I'm excited about this one. I catch myself saying that about every episode, but I guess we've been picking some good guests lately. Good topics, exciting stuff to talk about. This is a hot topic, um, so I'm really excited to get into it. There's a lot of misconceptions surrounding it, so we're hopefully going to bust some of those misconceptions wide open and and spread some truth about what these guys are doing. Today we have Mr. Garov. Kikani from Built Robotics. He's the VP of Strategy, Finance, and Operations. And these guys are the ones that are automating machines. Uh, you may have seen their equipment. It's the really slick, like lime green, black uh, paint scheme. They were at Con Expo. They've done a lot of stuff online. Um, and if you haven't seen it, we'll we'll be including some links to check them out because it's pretty cool. Mister Garov, thanks for joining Aaron, us. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. I'm excited to talk about this. We just had a little conversation before this and I told him it's, it's what they're doing is very misunderstood. Uh, And I'm a big fan of it after seeing it in person. So I'm excited to hopefully educate people on what the reality of what you guys do is. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Yeah. It's, uh, it's exciting to be able to talk about it openly. Yeah. Well, let's, let's, let's talk about what you guys do uh, before we just to, to provide some context here. So what, is built robotics? What's the purpose of the company? Uh, What are you guys doing? Totally. So
1: we're a construction technology company. And what we're focused on is um, basically building the next step in the technology surrounding heavy equipment. And I think the manufacturers have done a tremendous job making this hardware. the world's best machinery, you know, and it's highly functional. But we think that, you know, to take this to the next step, that's when you need to bring software into the picture and kind of work with the hardware. And so basically what we're doing is automating heavy equipment to perform basic repetitive tasks. Um, So, you know, think about machine control, um, but now you can do it uh, with, you know, no one inside the cab. Um, You can be miles away and you can fire up a machine and tell it what you want it to do that day and knock out uh, some work that way.
0: And so this brings us to misconception number one. People will quickly point out that, oh, it's just a stupid robot. They could never navigate a city street and dig around utility. Like, what happens if it hits utility? That's not the application you guys are going after right now. You're after the repetitive task. So, what are you guys really focused on making these machines do?
1: Yeah, I think uh, you nailed it. It's it's we've decided that. It is a stupid robot, right? Like we can't do everything today. And so we got to be really smart about what environments we put this robot in and making sure that, you know, we, what we can, we only take on what the technology is capable of doing today, which is very basic, repetitive stuff that doesn't require a ton of judgment. That doesn't require a lot of finesse because that's what humans are best at. And we need the humans to continue to do that. Um, so what we focus on right now are sort of large scale infrastructure projects, really greenfield, middle and nowhere, um, you know, big wind, renewables, solar, oil and gas. Um, those are the best applications. Um, but even within those projects, we have to be really smart about what tasks we take on, because, again, there are tasks that require a lot of uh, judgment and complexity, and then there are tasks that you know we all know to be a little bit more repetitive. And you know once you dial in, you just keep going and, and you can accomplish a lot of work. So uh, we're focused a lot on uh, buried infrastructure right now. So trenching uh, for pipelines and cables and things like that. Um, and that's, that's really what we're focused on. Um, long-term, of course, the, the grand vision is we would love to make the technology more sophisticated, be able to tackle more complicated things. But I think the reality of it all is that again, you'll be able to do certain things with a robot, and there will be certain things you just can you can't do with the robot, and that's what you need the humans for.
0: And and you guys have machines right now in real world applications, uh, like we w- like we talked about. You have machines overseas, and I don't know how much of this. I'm assuming it's all pretty public now. So yeah. like like you're not trenching down a city street. You're trenching in the middle of nowhere. And we saw the demonstration of how the machine trenches. And it's a beautiful trench. It's just it's absolutely immaculate. It's in the middle of nowhere. So you're not running into anything. Uh, can you talk about the specific applications these machines are running in today? Totally. So um, yeah, we have robots deployed on
1: um, so uh, coal seam gas projects out in Australia. Um, basically, you, know, you have all these pipelines running from the gathering, like well pads uh, down to the main pipelines, um, tons of trench but also middle of nowhere, like all you have are kangaroos um, in <laughs> kind of in that area. So uh, that's a great application because you got long runs of of this trench. Uh, we can dial in, you know, different depths or different widths, and you know we do have that ability to adapt. Um, but you don't have a ton of existing infrastructure in the ground. You don't have you know existing utilities. Um, so it is really really good for the robot. You set it up and then let it rip uh, all day. Um, and then we've also done a lot of work in renewables. So we've done uh, in the in the wind sector. We've done some foundation excavation. We've done um, uh, in solar farms. We're doing a lot of DC and MV uh, trenching for for the cables. Um, starting to look at data centers. Um, so I think again, all of these projects, the common theme is you know they're long. They they run a long time. Um, it doesn't make sense to like automate this the mini X in your backyard to dig a swimming pool. Like yeah. that just, that doesn't really move the needle. Yeah. Um, so these are long greenfield applications uh, with a lot of dirt to be moved. And so, you know, you typically have these large teams that are working out there. And so this just becomes another tool in your tool belt where if you can knock out the basic repetitive stuff, you can use your human geniuses, you know, the the, the master operators to do the complicated tasks on the job site. And not have them kind of worrying about some of the basic stuff that while they could do it in their sleep, it's just not the best use of their time. And so that's really what we're trying to do is um, help them be even more productive.
0: And anyone in the space knows there are those mind numbing tasks that some equipment operators have to do that are just that, that are repetitive. Like everyone likes this industry because it's different every single day. But when it is repetitive like that, there it's it's not as mentally stimulating as when you're digging a swimming pool, for example, and every little scoop is totally different.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's 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 definitely true. Um I think you can find the elegance in whatever you're doing. I mean, that's another cool yeah. thing about humans is that yeah. you know, we find a way to challenge ourselves and and whatever we're doing get get good at it. But you're right, like it's hard to, you know, like Dig a long trench day after day for three months. Like, you know, ideally, if you're a you're a good operator, you could be using your skills to be doing, you know, the things that you know we just can't automate today.
0: And the the cool point that when I I visited you guys uh, probably two or three months ago now in uh, San Francisco, it, it was really cool to see everything in person. I like to experience things for myself and ask questions. And one of the things you guys pointed out was the machine still can be run by a human. So you can turn it off. You can get in it and you can dig during the day. And then when you go home and leave, you can just, you can automate it overnight. So the damn thing's digging all night long while you're sleeping. And then you could come back the next day and it's further down the, down the way. It's, it's wild.
1: Exactly. I mean, I
0: think that's, that's what really changes here. I mean, everyone
1: talks about automation and like labor and, But it's really about how you utilize the equipment that's going to change, right? And now we don't have to think about everything in terms of eight-hour days or 10-hour days. Um, You can think about things as 24-7. And so, you know, you can have this robot, like, digging trenches, opening up trenches overnight, so then your cable-lane crews come in the morning, and they can just you know, they can just get to work. You don't have to Mm -hmm. wait for anything. Um, You know, if you have scraper routes, for example, like what if you had an autonomous dozer just like cleaning up those routes overnight so your scrapers can just haul during the morning and they're not having to avoid like obstacles in 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 the path. So I think there's just like, you know, this again, it's just a new tool that can help us all be more efficient in what we do. Um, and I think if we start to think about it that way, it'll open up all kinds of new possibilities of how we can build better. Um, and I think that's really what we're all after here. I mean, um, eh, like, you know, we look at the infrastructure in this country, there's just so much work to do and, you know, there's just, we, let's be honest, like there's not enough resources or people to do all of the things we need to do. So if we can get smarter about where we're putting our manpower to work, um, and kind of using some new tools to help us do it faster or more efficiently, then I think we all benefit, um, and we can build all the things we need to build.
0: And I want to draw the parallel that you explained, um, before we started recording, and that's you're, you're a technology company, no different than GPS or no different than Caterpillar coming out with a new piece of equipment that can do things a little bit more effectively. It's you, you guys fall in line perfectly with that uh, that, that already established line of innovation rather than just this new group coming in and trying to steal jobs or whatever it may be. It's, it's, it's no different than what every other company in the industry is already doing.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, you know, we are, we're a technology company at the end of the day. Like we have software engineers, robotics engineers, like, you know, we're, we're not construction experts, but what we can do is what we like to do is listen to our customers, listen to the folks on the ground who are the experts in construction, try to learn and understand, you know, where can we build something, a useful tool for this industry? And then we go and we try to build it and then kind of roll it out into the field and, and kind of work with with our customers to improve it. Um, and, and that's fundamentally what we're doing. We, you know, just like GPS came out 10, 15, 20 years ago, um, it was a slow rollout at first. I think there were a lot of skeptics. People were like, what like, how the heck am I put this thing on my dozer and then suddenly be more productive? But what we find is that it makes, you know, your your master operators, they could, they could do the same work without it, probably, but it it makes the average operator overall better and more efficient. And, you know, you get more consistency in your output. And I think we can all say that GPS and machine control have made our industry more productive. And I think it's the same argument for this sort of thing is there's going to be a time and place that the application of autonomy makes sense. There will be cases where it doesn't make sense. And I think if we deploy it in the right settings, then we can actually really drive, move the needle forward
0: and uh, progress as an industry. Well, but it's frustrating because a lot of people in this industry are very black and white. So it's either good or bad. And it's like the even the GPS argument, they're still trying to well, you know, what if it goes down and 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 you don't have the technology, you need to still know. It's like, yeah, there's there's yeah. applications for it, and applications where you're better off without it, but you're still better with it a lot of times. Like it doesn't have to be just one 100% or the other 100%. Why don't you blend the two together? And yeah. and that's what I like about like going back to, you can still use the machine for whatever whatever you want to use it for beyond letting the computer do its thing. It doesn't have to be just one or the other. There you can you can work You can use it as you need to use it to be as efficient as possible at the job.
1: Yeah, I think I I I love your example, and I'd even take it a step backwards, which is, you know, no one's going to sit here and tell you that like, okay, a dozer can go down, right? You could have a breakdown. But no one's gonna sit here and say, "Hey, I'm better off with a shovel, right?" Like, no, the dozer is a better tool. Yeah. Um, Yeah, it's not 100% reliable, but we definitely agree that we're better off with it, um, and having the option to use it. And um, I think it's the same idea. And today, yeah, like the robots are gonna be less useful or less reliable than a dozer, for example. Uh, But 10 years from now, 15 years from now, I think that technology will be in a place where you can actually depend on it. And, and and actually, maybe far sooner than that, you'll be able to rely on it. And I think it really just comes down to um, being smart about when you use which tool. And um, just like you choose between, you know, an impact wrench versus a drill in your tool belt, there's a time and a place for each tool. It's the same thing uh, with, with some of this new technology.
0: Going to uh, a comment you said that, that you guys are not, experts in this industry that was that was one of the most surprising things when I met you guys was your your humility uh, and understanding that you don't understand the industry and 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 you guys come in and and I think that's crucial and I've learned that with our our deal too is if we came in as a marketing agency all uh, cocky and we know everything and, and we know better than you no one would want to look at us it's just this industry does not reward that behavior. They reward humility. They want to talk to people like them. And I think you guys have figured that out too. And, in 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 a way that you, you listen to the people you're hungry to learn. I'm, I'm really impressed by how thoughtful you guys are about working with this industry. What have you learned with working with the people out in the field through the past few years?
1: Yeah. You know, the, uh, you know, people talk about imposter syndrome or like just feeling incompetent. That's a daily occurrence for us, right? Like, you know, and my background is not construction. Um, And uh, it's actually funny. I was (laughs) before this, I was listening to some of your older podcasts, and I came across a name I recognized. And I actually worked with Matt Moldenhauer out uh, in Bain in Chicago. We were in the same office. No Um, kidding. Yeah, so it wow. was so funny to see an old name, huh. and we have the same story. Where I was not a construction guy; I uh, I did some mining work while I was at Bain. That was my first sort of foray into like, you know, the heavy industries. Um, I grew up in Texas. My dad's in the oil and gas business, but you know, I, I didn't grow up doing this stuff. But I had a I had an appreciation for it, and I think kudos for like the culture of humility that Built has really goes to our founder, Noah. He's he's our CEO. And I mean, he's really, he embodies that spirit, which is, you know, he's a technology guy. He's a computer scientist, but he also grew up in New England. His dad's a contractor. Like he he had that sort of intersection of appreciating what technology can do, but also appreciating how important the human spirit is and how important hard work is. And and I think that's what really distinguishes us. We're not your typical Silicon Valley company. Um, I think you 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 probably got that taste when you know you visited us, and we have porta potties at our office. Like we don't have you know beautiful facilities where it's a dirt yard, and we got to test the robots. Um, and all of our engineers, everyone spends time on job sites because we think the only way we can build a tool that's useful for our customers is by understanding what they go through every day. Um, And I think if we act like we have all the answers, we're we're a science experiment. We're never gonna be real, we're never gonna deliver a tool that's actually useful for people. And the analogy I like to use for this is like, you know, the person who designed the washing machine, cause that's like kind of a robot, you're automating something, right? Mm -hmm. If that person had never washed clothes in their life, they wouldn't know where to start, right? Like, so I think in the same way, my first day at Built, was on a job site in Montana. Uh, I learned how to just operate a wheel loader that day. Like this has always been about getting dirt on your boots and really understanding what this industry is about. Um, And then, you know, we can start to bring our ideas to the table, we can propose solutions. But I think having the humility to know that we don't have all the answers, I think is gonna serve us well. Cause this
0: is a a 20 year journey. This is not gonna be built overnight. And I think, That's key, and I think that's something a lot of technology companies that are trying to cater to the blue collar world have not figured out yet. You can have the money, you can have the people, you can have the great technology, but if you don't figure out that piece of how to relate to people, how to experience the industry, how to really understand it, you're not you're not going to be able to succeed. There's no way. And I, I try to, you know, we hire a lot of people that have never been in the industry. That's the first thing. in In their first few weeks, they're out on job sites. I want them out there to understand. And I just bought cats out of the bag. I just bought a piece of equipment, piece of heavy equipment for no reason other than to just put our people into it. When they start to just give them some a little bit of experiences, you know, here's what these guys out in the field actually do day to day so they can understand it better. I think it's crucial for any company trying to cater to this industry for them to understand that fact or else they will not be successful. Totally.
1: Totally. Yeah. And I hope you bought a cat because then the cat's literally out of the bag.
0: I, I, Sorry, I couldn't you know, help myself. I, I actually <laughs> did buy, buy a cat. Yep. 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 <laughs> there you go. Yeah.
1: That's awesome. Yeah. It's funny because actually the first day I met Noah, um, you know, we were just getting to know each other. We grabbed a coffee and he's like, why don't you come by our yard? Um, check it out. And I was meeting some other folks that day in San Francisco. I was interviewing, you know, I, you yeah, and you like, you show up in an interview, you have your dress shirt, you have your slacks, you got mm-hmm. some dress shoes on. And then I show up at this dirt yard and I'm like, okay, this is a little different. This is not your like typical Silicon Valley, you know, setup." And then Noah's like taking me around and then we had our skid steer there. And he's like, you want to give that a shot? And I was like, of course. Yeah, that's like, it looks like so much fun. And I like wade through the mud in my dress shoes, like get it all sloppy, whatever. And I jumped in and I drove it around. I don't know. I, I don't think I was very good, but I think... You know Noah tells me to this day that that was kind of the moment where he was like, okay, he's not just like, you know, uh, you know, a business guy or like an analyst. Like, you know, there was some sort of like excitement and enthusiasm for the actual hard work that goes into this industry. Yeah. And I think that's been the culture that we've tried to build. Um, and literally every person that joins our company, that is something we look for is that willingness to engage, willingness to be uncomfortable, um, because that's where the true learning happens. And I think that's
0: how we get better. Was that experience refreshing coming out of something like Bain? Cause that's, uh, that's black and white. It's not at all similar to a big consulting firm in that corporate world. Was it, was it like a little bit of a deep breath? Like, Ooh, yeah. Like this is, this is, you know, how I grew up and this is really for me.
1: Yeah. It's it's been refreshing for 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 sure,
0: and it's been a growing
1: experience. Um, Honestly, I think a lot of my friends probably look at me now and they're like, "Who is that? Like, what happened to him? Like, I have I always have a beard now. Like, I roll up in a like thirty five hundred. Never drew (laughs) like I never drove a pickup before that. But I think like you know it's really been okay. If we're gonna do this, let's do it right. Let's immerse ourselves in this. Um, And there's so much to learn. There's so much to appreciate um you know i've never met nicer people than when i've been out on job sites and i think um it has been refreshing because by getting to experience this stuff for myself i think it's helped build my understanding um and and a- appreciation for you know how everything around us gets built to be honest and i think we all you know a lot of people take it for granted but now anyone who's driving with me on the highway like anytime like half the time my eyes are on the yellow iron on the sides of the, on the road. And my friends are pretty tired of me, like getting excited about the scraper I'm seeing on a low boy or something. Yeah.
0: (laughs) It's very hazardous at times for, for myself. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, totally. I, 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 and I love, cause my background is I was not raised in the industry and I like talking to people that not, not necessarily in the industry that found their way into it later on. Cause I think that's what that's what we need to do. We need to inspire people that haven't even thought of it before to go into it. It's like, yeah, great. Your dad was in it. Your grandpa was in it. You've always grew up in it, but that's not sustainable. We need to go outside of that pool that's shrinking and find people all over and, and, and draw them in too. Going to how this whole circus started. Who thought it was a good idea to, I, you know, they see an excavator. Maybe I can make that do the digging thing on its own. How did that start out and, and when was that? So the origin
1: story of the company, um, it's it predates me. Uh, 2016 is when the company was founded by our, our founder, Noah Reedy Campbell. So Noah kind of grew up in Vermont. Um, his dad is a carpenter and a contractor. And so Noah grew up working summers for his dad, cheap labor, uh, working with his hands, and doing that doing that hard work. Then he went to to, to college. He studied computer science. Um, you know, got a great job at Google. But he was an entrepreneur, in, in his heart. So you know, four four months into Google, he he left to start his first company. Um, it was an e-commerce startup, and he worked on that for a number of years. And then he finished that up. And then he started to think, okay, what's next? You know, he had the itch, the desire to build something new. And that's when I think around that time, 2015, 2016 was like peak self driving car hype on the West Coast. You yeah. know, everyone like Waymo and Uber, everyone's talking about self driving cars. Yeah. So Noah starts to think, well, okay, instead of starting the 51st self driving car startup, what if I take that underlying technology? And I apply it to something that I think is more tractable, a little bit a little more systematic, um, which he he you know drew on his old experiences and thought of construction mm. and specifically earth moving within construction, because there there are techniques, there are like the right ways to do certain things. And you know, you're operating at much slower speeds. You're operating two to five miles an hour, you're not going 60 to 80 on a highway. And the key insight, I think, was that you can automate just one thing. You could just get really good at digging trenches. And if that's all you can do, you're still creating value. With like a self-driving car, if all you can do is drive straight on a highway, you're not gonna be doing much for anyone because you need to be able to stop and get off the highway and things like that. So I think that realization helped us kind of, I think that was the big, big moment where we realized that, okay, if we apply it to construction, we can create a useful tool a lot faster than any of these self-driving car companies can. And so that's what we've been doing. So it was um, 2016, he like formed the company. Um, He met our co-founder, Andrew. So Andrew's a, you know, he's an engineer um, technologist and he worked at NASA and he worked on drones. He did a lot of other stuff before. Um, So the two of them got started. Um, They worked out of this, basically a tent uh, for the first year, Um, they, they, They've told me about how they like froze that first winter, just like they were just like freezing, coding, trying to type in there. And that's how they got the proof of concept up and running. So it was a skid steer that we automated first. Uh, We got it fully autonomous, able to do basic tasks. And that was the kind of aha moment where it was like, okay, we can actually automate this equipment and we can, more importantly, make it do useful things. And so then we started to get it out on job sites right away. So unlike, I think, most technology companies, we really believe that you can tinker all you want in your garage, but it's not until you get it on a site and get it working, that's when you really can unlock whether this thing's going to work or not. Because there's no, no better way to learn than that. So that's around the time that I joined the company, uh, when we started to deploy these robots um, with our first few customers. Uh, we took our lumps. I, I literally remember the first job site I was on, uh, the partner we were working with, uh, he's the owner of the construction company. He comes out, he watches our dozer kind of trying to grade pads. And he said it was like watching paint dry. It was like the least sexy thing. And it was just taking forever. He's, he's like, well, just let me get in there I'll do it a lot faster. But I think that was that was the learning process for us. And here we are like four and a half years later. And yeah, we're deployed on a bunch of job sites. We're seeing consistent, steady production, and we're still a long way from where we need to get. And in order for this to be like, you know, a big, big time tool that everyone can rely on. Um, but I think we're, we're you know, definitely on our way on that journey.
0: And I, I love how scrappy it is. You guys are really, it's, it's not this flashy Silicon Valley startup. Like the traditional startup in Silicon Valley is very luxurious and, you know, Oh yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a big deal. You guys are extraordinarily scrappy still. Like you have this, you know, this little yard down by the docks. Like it's, (laughs) it's, 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 and, and I just love the office and the porta potties Like it's, it's all, it fits just perfectly. And also what you said is something I feel like people don't necessarily understand is they look at them like, well, that, well, that's stupid. It's going so slow, but they don't understand that you need to start somewhere and start, you know, just iterating and getting it out there. And even if it doesn't look as efficient as somebody in the machine would be, that's the process. That's the point. Like you have to just get it out there, learn about the bugs and then continuously improve on top of that. If you were expected to make it a hundred percent effective on day one, that's, that's totally irrational. And that's not really the point with what you guys are trying to do. Like you want to get it there, but there's a lot of work to make a, an excavator digging on its own it's ridiculous that's that's totally right right
1: like i think i mean you look around us any anything that we depend on and rely on uh technology wise it took a long time to perfect like airplanes for example i mean you look at what the wright brothers did like 80 years ago uh it looks nothing like what our planes look like today and, but it was that continuous improvement and someone plants the seed and then someone else comes in with a good idea. And then suddenly, you know, it becomes a little, a little bit better, a little bit more. Um, now you have autopilot on these, on these planes, like, like they can fly themselves a lot of the times. Um, but then you still need the pilots to, for takeoff and landing and like the, the crazy stuff in between. So I think the, the analogies are out there and I don't think anything we're doing is totally unprecedented or unique. Um, this is just the natural evolution of things. Um, but yeah, I think uh, it's gonna. You know, we're very early in the journey. But even when we look back the four years, we see huge. Like it's insane to us how slow the machines used to be, or how like annoying they used to be. And now they they're seamless and they they work. And um, one of the big breakthroughs we've been having recently is like we can get. You know uh operators involved and in you don't need an engineer on site to run the thing anymore mm-hmm. and like that's the next big step for us is um, being able to train operators train the people on the ground to be able to use this tool on their own
0: without built uh helping them out when i had to kind of self-correct when i when i saw the machine too because my first thought was well some guy in the machine could do that a lot easier Like, it's just digging, like anyone can do that. That's not that hard. Like dig a straight trench. I mean, I couldn't do that. I couldn't hit the dirt with the bucket, (laughs) but, but most people could do that. Uh, But then, but then you sit there and like, you kind of shake yourself around like, no, 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 wait, 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 hold on a minute. That thing's doing it on its its own. Like that's completely absurd and they're getting better at it and it's going to be really, really good at it down the road. Like, okay, I see the big picture and this is like, for the sake of clarity, caterpillar and, and and all the big oems they're touting their like quote-unquote autonomous setups and a lot of it's just remote control like you know mm-hmm. at con expo you could run a dozer in peoria from con you know from las vegas and you're sitting there in a in a seat but you are controlling that machine and that's to remove the operator from the machine And you still need an operator it's no different than some guy in the machine it's just to put the machine primarily in dangerous applications like next to pawns or under conveyors or that, that kind of thing. What you, that's not what you guys are doing. You guys are, you press the button and then the machine just does it. You don't need human input. Once the machine is going, you monitor it, but there's no input whatsoever. Correct. Exactly. Right. Correct.
1: It's full autonomy. I think people have sort of jumbled around, like, what does that mean? Everyone has a different definition for it, but what we're doing, there's no one inside the cab. There's no one remote controlling the machine. You know, once you hit the big green go button, the machine does everything on its own um, and it'll let you know when
0: it's done. So why, and I know a lot of the the big companies right now are going after the mining world because that's where the dollars are. They're, you know, it's just most of Cat's money is tied up in mining. So they're yeah. going after, let's automate the mining trucks. Let's automate the shovels. Let's, let's go automate the big stuff. Why did you guys start with the small stuff? The skid steers, the... 336 excavators, you know, you guys are focused on the small construction applications. Why, why is that?
1: Yeah, I I think you kind of explained it. Um, I think cat, obviously, I mean, they're a big company and they're, we have a lot of respect for them. Um, but you know, selling equipment into mining is a big part of their business. So of course their focus on developing new technology is going to go there first. Mm -hmm. Um, we wanted to take a crack at construction because we don't think anyone's doing it. Mm -hmm. Um, no one's, Thinking about it, and so we felt that there was a real opportunity to be the first people to think about construction, and it's different. I mean, mining obviously it's a dynamic environment; things are changing, but it's relatively kind of controlled, um, and it's as close to like outdoor manufacturing as you can really get. Construction is, you know, f- I I would argue more dynamic, right? And once something's built, you move on. You don't come back to it. You don't keep working on the same face over and over again. And so. I think long term you're going to see a convergence, right? You're going to see autonomous equipment working in both applications, um, and we think that that's very doable. Um, but I think we wanted to start with construction, start on smaller equipment, get your basics right, uh, but be able to handle more dynamic environments. I would argue it's a it's a more it's a tougher technological challenge, um, but that's the one we wanted to take on, um, and we're seeing really good good results um, so far
0: the uh, The equipment itself that you guys are using are you just buying the machine and then outfitting it with the technology on top of the pre-existing machine? Are you partnered with OEMs? This was something I was very curious about when I visited. Could you just, you know, so how do you, how do you get this machine and then how do you make it do its own thing?
1: Yeah, that's i uh, I'm glad you're asking that question. Cause I, we, we get it a lot and we are not manufacturing anything, right? We are, we, you know, Cat, Komatsu, like they're the world's best in manufacturing. We're not trying to compete with them. So yeah. um, we take the machines that they build and we what we've developed is basically like an upgrade kit. Um, so you just put this uh, guidance system on top of it, just like you would for machine control. You put your GPS units on top. Um, same thing. We have a little enclosure that goes on the machine that has some sensors, GPS, like a couple of different things. But then the core technology that we develop is the software. So um, basically, you can pull up on your tablet, the software, you can connect to the robot from your computer. And that's where you tell the robot what you want it to do that day. And then you press go. And, you know, your software talks to the robot, tells the robot, hey, here's what I need to do. And then the robot goes to work. Um, But ultimately, it's really just that software and that kit uh, where we kind of upgrade existing equipment with. And that upgrade takes maybe a day or two to, to complete so we install the hardware on it we do a little bit of calibration because every machine's a little different um but then the rest of it is is all software
0: so you could you could do this to any excavator it doesn't really matter the brand in theory you, you just plug it into anything it's just like gps exactly yeah <laughs> i mean we know that you know equipment is sort of commoditized now
1: like everyone's running slightly different fleets so we don't want to be telling people what equipment to buy you should buy the equipment you love and we can just upgrade that and make that autonomous as well.
0: And that's something the OEMs don't understand. They don't think it's <laughs> commoditized and they think theirs is the best. And it's like, uh, well, I, I don't think anyone really cares. Anyone, uh, they just care about price and <laughs> getting it get I mean, I, I,
1: I certainly can't <laughs> tell the difference, but I'm also not the guy you should ask about that yeah. stuff. But yeah, I mean, I agree. Like I think the different OEMs, they've they figured out, you know, They can improve fuel efficiency here or like they can, you know, improve like maintenance and some things here. But I think like the true like game changing innovation, that's really like the next level. And I think that's going to be more software driven than the actual equipment anymore.
0: So what some of these companies like Caterpillar, I mean, like Caterpillar Ventures is probably not too far from you guys. It's it's in San Francisco, isn't it? Um, yeah yeah, yeah. Cat, so so what they do is is they don't necessarily create a lot of that they go and buy it and then absorb mm-hmm. it into into their business is it, where do you guys see the future of your business? Do you want to remain on your own? Do you want to go sell to one of these large companies and then go use their resources to go make this you know, so they're at the cat factory you have the option to outfit your three thirty six with this technology from, from day one, what what's the big picture here? If I look into my crystal ball, which, you know, who knows?
1: I think that there's tremendous opportunity here. Like, we're just barely scratching the surface. And, I agree. you know, if I zoom, you know, look forward 20 years, I think the world is going to start to look very different. And so we think that we're not in it for, like, the short term. We're not just trying to just do something quick and half-ass it and then get out. Uh, I think we're, you know, we want to be committed and sincere and, and really deliver a product that, you know, is is useful, reliable, and, and really just, you know, is delightful to use, honestly. And so I think when it comes to interacting with the OEMs, I think there's going to be a big role for them to play as well. I mean, they obviously, they're like big stakeholders in the ecosystem. And I think we're going to need to work together at some point. And um, I think, you know, longer term, uh, I think that What would be ideal is if like the hardware kind of gets baked in at the factory level Mm -hmm. and then built kind of provides a software that connects all equipment and kind of talks across the board but i don't think we're trying to work exclusively with one because one of the things we're obsessed with is what our customers need and what we keep hearing from our customers is that hey i have a fleet full of deer kamatsu all kinds of stuff you know how do i make sure that i'm not just pigeonholed that if i want to use this technology I have to now go drop half a million dollars on this excavator. Yep. And we don't want to get our customers into that sort of trap. So um, I think we definitely want to be open and, and transparent and kind of work with everyone to make sure that everyone can sort of benefit from, from this
0: new tool. Makes perfect sense. One thing I wanted to note, too, there. this is not like one big advertisement for Built. I'm just fascinated by what these guys are doing. There's no money at, at all involved here. We don't do paid advertising or anything of the sort on this podcast. I'm just so amazed by, by them. And I was a big skeptic at first before I visited them and saw it in person. And I they didn't reach out to me. I reached out to them and I said, hey, I'll be in San Francisco. Can I see what you guys are doing? So I just want to make that clear. Like, I'm just, this is just really cool. And I'm excited about it. In regards to mistakes you guys have made, I'm sure if you guys are anything like my business, you've screwed up a lot of things and, and probably have screwed up many things today. What are some of those big problems you guys have had to work through? Oh, where do I start? Yeah, we don't have that much time, <laughs> but but yeah. what, let's just highlight some of the challenges you guys have had to overcome.
1: Just like anything, we, we, we really believe and we embrace failing fast, right? We believe fail hard, but fail fast, learn from it and then improve quickly. Um, so, you know, from the beginning, I think any of our customers could tell you this, like we've shipped some product into the field that just like the hardware broke. Um, actually recently we were operating in Australia. It's summer out there right now. And, you know, we started to see temperatures on our electronics going to like 120 degrees and like Mm -hmm. things were like (laughs) cocking out. Um, it's hard. And I think we all know, like anyone who's been to a job site knows that the construction environment, there's so much dust and vibration, high temperature, extreme temperatures. I mean, we've also worked in 20 degree or zero degree weather now. We had one of our robots kind of working in the snow once. It got all slushy. It stopped getting traction. And so, like, we had to stop and kind of be like, okay, this is not working. Like, how do we think about this new problem or this new wrinkle? So, I think that's been definitely, you know, part of the, part of the journey. And then, you know, I have so many stories, I, I, as I'm sure everyone you know, here does like being on a job site, like there was a low boy that was trying to retrieve a skid steer that we had rented. It got stuck in the mud. It ruined the, the, the access roads. Um, So then I was in the skid steer trying to like clean it up in like zero degree weather in Kansas. Like, you know, we we've all been there when nothing really goes according to plan and you just have to adapt on the fly. And I think that's something we've learned from being in construction with the people who do it best of being adaptable and being, you know, being able to read the environment and adapt your plan accordingly, and that's something that I think we as a company have started to embrace. That assume nothing will go according to plan. I think the military has a has a good saying here, like nothing survives first contact. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's really what we what we embrace now,
0: and I think it's made us a lot better at at operating too. Love it. What, how do you guys service these things? Uh, what's what's the plan there? Because I know that's a, a huge sticking point with how companies buy equipment is, okay, if it breaks, how fast can I get it fixed? How how do you guys service companies or equipment from Kansas to Australia? It's it's all over the place. Yeah,
1: yeah there's kind of two things, right? Or three, really. One is um, we try to build the system in a way that it doesn't break, right? It's reliable. It's robust. Uh, we're using like military grade sensors and equipment. We do tons of testing on them now. Um, so we've gotten a lot better at that. So before even putting something in the field, it's gone through a lot of rigorous testing on our Mm -hmm. side. Mm -hmm. Um, but then the next thing is we actually are pretty strict about maintenance. Uh, we, we practice like checklists and everything, uh, as a company too. So, our technicians, when they go out, uh, or even the operators that we start or we're starting to train on using some of this equipment, um, they know. Hey, you should wipe the camera lenses. Just make sure the dust isn't collecting on them. Check the coolant in the in the reservoir. Like there's just like just like you would pre-start your excavator or your dozer. You just do a quick check on the on the hardware as well. Um, and then the third piece here is like ultimately, again, we're not trying to make a quick buck or anything. This is about building something that's useful for people and, you know, being able to put our name next to it. So we really believe in this like white glove sort of experience where if anything breaks, we will literally put someone on a plane from San Francisco and get them out to you within like 12 hours. Right. So th- we we really believe strongly in that. And um, so we work really closely with our customers. It's, it's kind of interesting. I call them customers, but really they're partners um, and we work very, very closely with them. We build relationships because ultimately this is a this is a relationships business. And the only way built will get better, the only way we'll move this technology forward is by working sort of hand in hand with our customers. And so things will fail, and we'll be honest and upfront about it. Uh, but we'll work together to fix it and and get it up and running, and make sure that you know you are ultimately made
0: whole at the end of the day. And that's our company's entire approach to we we don't we've eliminated customers from our vocabulary their partners because like they are how we are building our business and how we are succeeding exactly. and we if they do better we do better if we do better they do better it really is a partnership like it's exactly it, it is a deep deep relationship that we're after and uh, we screw up all the time and we're we're <laughs> honest about it and we say and we're gonna make it right at the end of the day like we're hell-bent on making this right but Mm-hmm. man do we screw up a lot of stuff and a lot of bad stuff sometimes and it sucks during but afterwards you can turn it into your best sales pitch too it's like hey we screwed this totally. up but we made it right and like yeah they 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 made it right like they it was really fucked up but they they went above and beyond to make it right and now we respect them even more than we did before there you go exactly, exactly. Yeah. I mean I think we all what well,
1: well, we've learned it sort of the hard way like but like bullshit doesn't get you anywhere. Right. No, and, um, no, I think one of the things that I've also learned, and this was a hard sort of sales lesson, I guess, or a business development lesson, which, but it's an uncomfortable conversation to have, but being upfront of what you also cannot do yeah. is important too. Right. Yeah. And like scoping the work appropriately, it's, it's easy to sell the vision and sell like, yeah, yeah, no problem. We'll get you a robot. It'll do everything. And you know, it'll be ha- like easy, But I think being real with your with your stakeholders and building that trust, it's hard early on. But if you do make it work, then it it builds the foundation for a
0: a stronger relationship long term. And and we really believe that. And and people are willing to have patience with you if you set expectations up correctly from the beginning. If you go, if you go over promise, you're screwed. Like we just had I just had an hour ago a conversation with somebody. Like, if you're expecting this to happen tomorrow, you're gonna be sadly mistaken. It's not gonna happen tomorrow. Like we are. We're spread thin right now. We're trying to figure some things out. And this this is when it realistically can happen, as long as that's okay. And if that yeah. lost us the quote unquote sale, then so be it. I didn't want to promise on something that we couldn't deliver on uh, to just exactly. make a sale, to go get more money. That's not the point here.
1: Yeah, I think that's right. And it's like, it's better for both parties up front if we can be honest and hey, yeah. it not a good fit. It's not a good fit. But yeah. I think wh- when we get past that first barrier what we've realized is then then when things don't go according to plan, you know, we are we know we're already working with a partner who understands that this doesn't happen overnight. It's hard. And, you know, they're going to stick it out with us and we'll stick it out with them. And that's really the relationship we care about.
0: Uh, yeah. I, I, there's a lot of parallels here. And I spoke with uh, the folks at Mortensen this morning and I know you guys oh, nice. have, have done quite a bit with them.
1: Yeah, yeah, we we like they were actually one of our, you know, first customers or partners really and um and Eric Selman over there, he's yep. he's an advisor to Built and we we it's just, you know, that's that's exactly what I'm talking about when I say it's like these relationships just become so strong and so powerful that I think a lot of what we've accomplished over the last 4 years are largely due to being able to have those open, transparent conversations and setting ourselves up for mutual success. And that's really what what we love about those partners.
0: Very much agree there. Um, so it would not be a heavy equipment, earth moving discussion without talking about safety. Um, yes. and, and that would probably be a very quick criticism, especially in the safety community. Well, how are we gonna be safe if there's just these wild robot excavators running around our job site? Um, And I'm sure I mean, you you guys have spent a lot of time thinking this through. So how have you thought through safety? Uh, It's a very complex issue. It's something that's very important. Like if your robot, God forbid, were to harm someone, that would be enormously detrimental to your business. I mean, you saw what happened with Uber, for example, in Arizona. It wasn't necessarily their fault. But everyone just blamed them anyway, and they had to go pull their whole damn business out of, out of Arizona after all this successful testing. No matter how much good they had done, they crossed one line, a big line, they, they harmed someone, and that was it. So how have you guys thought through this? What have you implemented within your software, your hardware, to make sure everyone on the ground, around the machines is, is safe?
1: So this is another place. Like This is the single biggest topic where we will not ever take a shortcut, uh-huh. um, period. And if you ask Noah, if you ask me, like, what keeps us up at night? It's this. Um, how do we ensure that a robot never harms anyone? And we think if done right, robots will actually make job sites safer. Hmm. And the reason is that robots are more predictable. They will do the exactly what they've been told to do. This is not some, like, Terminator AI. Like, it's not any of that. It's it's uh, it, like the way we program our software is highly predictable. It'll do the same thing every time. Um, and you know your the software will tell you what the robot's going to do before it does it. And so if you start to think about it, like having a predictable machine, knowing exactly what that machine's going to do on a job site, really in theory should make it safer. Um, and then secondly, if you can take the operator, out of harm's way you take them out of the equipment away from the trench collapse away from the excavation um, you know then you don't you're not risking human lives either um, they can kind of be working in more safe secure areas um, and be supervising the, remo- uh, the the robots and it's interesting I mean we get all kinds of interesting r- reach outs like people are doing munitions excavation and they're like oh. literally digging up bombs from like World War II yeah and they're like hey, maybe we should get a robot doing this instead of a human. Uh, I think that sounds like a great idea. Uh Or, you know, environmental remediation, you got hydrocarbons in the ground. Like, you don't want a human inhaling that stuff. Um, The long-term health effects can be really, really bad for people. So I think there are some great reasons why robots will actually enhance safety on the job site. Um, But maybe getting a little bit more specific, like, okay, so what have we done to make sure this technology uh, works? And I actually think... We will often take even harder stances than some of our partners will um, on putting safety, like, uh, uh, like safe, taking safety measures, like putting safety barriers up every time we deploy a robot. It doesn't matter if it's in the middle of nowhere. We're going to put like a safety perimeter. Uh, we'll use GPS to shoot a geofence to make sure that the robot doesn't work outside of that area um, we have wireless and wired e-stops. So if you put, put, push the big red button, it stops the robot in his tracks. So, you know, shit happens on job sites. You might need to stop work immediately. And so we've thought through how do we create solutions within our technology stack that are hundred percent reliable, like, you know, they, that in a lot of cases are safety rated and that, um, you know, if you need to stop work, you can do that immediately and you don't even have to think about it. Um, that's, that's ultimately, uh, something we take very seriously.
0: So your robots cannot, uh, t- run away at night and attack people. <laughs> no, no, not at all there. Yeah. I think like, basically we
1: kind of restrict the area that they can operate in. And as soon as they encounter the perimeter of that area, they stop, they can't, they can't exit that area.
0: Well, and, yeah. and I noticed too, when I was out visiting, um, if you approach the machine, it has camera sensors and it would stop. Uh, moving if someone would get too close or move around it. That was pretty neat. Yeah. So that's like, that's actually some of the newer technology
1: where we use cameras and the software is actually using machine learning to identify pedestrians. Mm. And if it sees a pedestrian, it'll stop. Um, if you go to our website, actually, there's a video and um, the, there's a dog sort of on the site um, and the dozer sees it and it'll stop and the dog kind of goes on its way and then the dozer starts working again so, so it'll, it'll stop it, yeah. for
0: for kangaroos in australia
1: <laughs> we we haven't tried that yet but uh yeah i you know we'll make sure to get that in our machine learning Can- database
0: kangaroo safety it's a big topic and, and and what you said about predictability is is spot on and i experience that a lot as when i'm photographing equipment obviously everyone's like worried about my safety and i have to tell mm-hmm. people like okay i know you're worried but chill like i am the most worried about my safety i don't want to get run over i promise you i don't want to get run over like you have to deal with the paperwork but i'm the one run over so that's that's one so i try to be really thoughtful about where i am where the other equipment is what's going on around me when i'm shooting something very predictable like a scraper going down a single cut i know exactly where that machine's going to go i know exactly how fast it's going I know everything that that piece of equipment is going to do. And then I can plan for contingencies. What if a tire blows out or whatever it may be. But if it's something that I don't know where it's going to go, what they're going to do, maybe a a less experienced operator that I don't necessarily trust, or I had just walked up. So I hadn't seen what this guy's doing. It's a lot scarier and a lot less safe because there's so much more. I'm forgetting the word. It's just not, it's not as predictable as something that is just doing the exact same thing over and over. So that makes perfect sense to me. If you know what the robot's doing, if you know where it's going to go, then you can act accordingly and and be safe around that machine. It makes perfect sense.
1: Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And, you know, we've tried to take cues from folks who've been thinking about this for 50 years, you know, the way we have backup alarms on our equipment. Um, we've taken that principle and we've added a new sound, which tells you it's an autonomous mode. Um, we Mm. have like flashing lights that indicate that, Hey, this is not a normal piece of equipment. Uh, you know, pick up your head, look at it. Um, and, and then of course the, you know, the ultimate protection here is we, we literally put up cordon and, um, stakes and stake out the area that the, the robot's working in so that no one even accidentally sort of stumbles into the area that the robot's working in, even though we trust the robot to see the person and stop and all of that this is how we get to sleep at night is because we know we've taken like the third degree of precaution versus sort of just relying on one or two things. It's about the redundancies and the checks and, and making sure that we've really
0: thought it through. Fascinating. Well, um, the last thing I wanted to discuss was, and we've touched on it, but the main criticism, I put up an autonomous piece of equipment on the internet and everyone says, well, they're taking our jobs. Are you taking people's jobs? Are you are you deliberately stealing jobs from the market that already has a, a labor shortage and, and record low unemployment? Regardless of all the data and statistics uh, <laughs> that that prove yeah. otherwise, or I mean, is that what's really happening here, or can you coexist with everyone's already in the industry?
1: Yeah, I I think it's we can coexist. Full stop. Um, it, it is a it is a fair criticism, right? I think um, the media certainly has portrayed you know new technology as as this sort of job killer for a long time uh, that's not what this is about and you know you know the, the way i'm trying to be very honest and transparent about what our technology can and can't do should tell you that you know we're not out to just you know replace people yeah. uh, i don't think that's going to happen and um but i think you know you mentioned some of the things that are at play which tell us why we do need this right why do we need to supplement the labor we have this awesome labor that we have we don't have enough of it. We have more work than we can possibly do. Uh, and I think the American Society of Civil Engineers rates the American infrastructure as a D plus, right? Like, what do we got to do to make it an A? Uh, I think we need more tools, more ways to do things in order to, you know, get up the curve. Um, and then I think, you know, fewer young people are going into construction than ever before. I think it's down 30% since 2005, right? Yeah. And... I think one of the things we're seeing is young people get excited about new technologies, new ways to do things, and we're actually seeing that when they see our technology being used on job sites, they want to get involved. They already appreciate the earth moving that's happening. Nothing can take away from the way we build today. We can only make it better, and we can only find more ways to do the same work. And I think by doing that, we can attract young people into the workforce. Um, We can, you know, and and then ultimately build more. I mean, I think that's, that's the end game here. Um, And the last point I'll make also is that we think long-term there's opportunity for wage growth for people too, Mm -hmm. right? If, if today you are a great operator and you run a dozer and you run it really well, but tomorrow you can supervise three dozers and do three times the work, Mm -hmm. you can go to your employer and say, look, man, I'm doing three times the work for you. I deserve a raise. And I think that that's another thing that, people like we've, we miss that when people talk about, you know, construction, productivity is down 50% since the 1970s. Like, why does that matter? Because productivity is usually tied to wage growth. And so when people are more productive, their wages go up. And so we want to bring productivity back to construction because we think that people will be better off too. Um, and then of course the safety element too, right. That I was saying that there are really dangerous jobs out there that it just, if, if we can just risk one fewer human life and, you know, not have them digging up bombs or not, you know, in, um, toxic environments, then that's probably better. I, I don't think very many people, you know, want to willingly put themselves into harm way harm's way. And so if we can provide them a tool that they can, you know, do the same work, but do it from, from safety, uh, that's, that's better for one too.
0: It's well said. And, and digging up bombs is certainly a niche market or, or, or <laughs> yeah. digging up glowing dirt. That's also a very, very niche, niche market. There's a, there's a funny video online of an excavator digging dirt. And as it's digging dirt, it's catching on fire the the teeth, the friction Jeez. of the teeth on the rock is igniting the dirt and you're like, okay, there's something bad in that dirt because <laughs> yeah. that is not natural. <laughs> I mean, there's some crazy YouTube video
1: I mean, there are all, all kinds of crazy YouTube videos, but there's one I remember watching, it was like a D12 and it's basically like armored and it's like looking for UXOs, like unexploded ordnance. Yeah. And it's just driving around and then like one of them blows. Yeah. And this, you just, the the there's like an in-cab camera and it's like, you feel for that operator. You're like, oh my God, that must be so traumatic. So, you know, if we can do some of that work too, that would be great. But um, yeah, that's just one example.
0: I have to say the internet is going to give you shit for calling it a D12 too. That's that's an ongoing joke right now because the D12, is oh, sorry. Not, it does not they exist. Don't exist anymore. Yeah, That's true. Yeah, that's yeah. True. Prove, but, but you've already admitted that you don't, you're not from the industry. So you are, you are free and clear, my friend.
1: I'm I'm learning things from this podcast already. And yeah, yeah. You know, taking my notes. <laughs> it goes
0: up to D11. You were close, not quite yeah. though.
1: That's right. It's it's I don't know. It's confusing now. Like we used to have a D6T, and that's not Yeah, a D6 now
0: six I'll bet you did. it's just a D6. Trust but. me, it drives everyone <laughs> crazy. But but they think they're a genius for doing it. It's but yeah.
1: Give it a few years. I'm sure that'll we'll be we'll be scratching our heads why we called it anything else.
0: That's what I've been saying about the new cat logo for two years now. And still haven't warmed <laughs> up to it. But that's beside the point. Okay, that was very well explained about the, the reasoning for this. And, and it's interesting what you said. So, you have to attract more people to the industry, but you also have to accept the reality that you are not going to backfill what used to be. You still need to create technology to make jobs more efficient. But then also, that technology goes back to attracting those people because that's what, and so it all works together. It's not one or the other, it all actually works together, which is fascinating.
1: Totally. Well, let me throw another gear into that system that I forgot about, which is they're going to be like literally new types of jobs that are created through all of this. Yes. Right? Like today you have diesel mechanics, you have, you know, heavy equipment mechanics, but tomorrow you're going to have LIDAR and sensors and like these new things to think about that today sound like foreign scary things. But, you know, in tomorrow's world, they're going to be very common. It'll just be like, you know, it'll be like a radiator. You know, everyone knows what it is. And yeah, well, not not everyone knows how it works. I I don't, but but I think that's the point is that there will be new classes of jobs that will come up, and um, will train people, and there will be new opportunities to manage fleets of robots or kind of think about what's the best way to utilize this new tool. Um, you know, your field engineers will need to think about not only like what's the roster for today and who are my operators, but like and and where do they need to work. But I think thinking a little bit more about okay, which Which vehicle are they going to be using? Is it autonomous or manually operated? Um, And so I think there's going to be a lot of new opportunity that comes. And we just, we don't even know half of it
0: yet. And I did just want to point out too, you do name the robots, don't you? Every machine has its own name. We We,
1: do. It's awesome.
0: It actually makes it a lot easier to refer to like one of the machines.
1: So yeah, we give them all names. um, And uh, it actually started back from our first piece of equipment. We named our skid steer Marianne. (laughs) And it, I don't know if you've read the book, Mike Mulligan and his Steam Shovel? Uh, I, I have, yes. Mike yep. Mulligan, his Steam Shovel's name is Marianne. <laughs> and so that's why, that was our first piece of equipment. We named it Marianne. And then since then, every every piece of equipment, someone on the team gets to name it.
0: And uh, it just makes it a little more endearing. That's It's it's really funny. And um, going back to the jobs thing too, I, I think why the media attacks autonomy and people losing their job. Like the media likes to incite fear and dysfunction. I've, I've seen that play out uh, more so in the past year than, than, than my life um, prior to that. And, and and a very effective way of inciting irrationality and fear is telling someone they're going to lose their job. That's very, a very, very effective, regardless of like United States had record low unemployment in us history prior to coronavirus that, that threw a wrench in things. So how are people, how is everyone losing their jobs, but there's still record low unemployment? It doesn't, like you can just do the math on that pretty easily and be like, okay, well, something doesn't add up here.
1: Yeah, it's it's a very convenient narrative, right? And super easy. It's very personal. Yeah. And like you latch onto it and you feel threatened, and then it's defense mode. And and I understand it. Like if someone told me that, I would feel the same way. Totally. Um, but I think history is the best teacher. I think, and you know, we all use ATMs these days, and it's like common. You go back like thirty years ago when ATMs were first coming out every banker every bank teller thought they were going to lose their jobs right yes. and they were like oh well who's going to hand the cash over now like if if you have these machines doing it but if you if you look at the the information out there uh, actually there are more bank tellers now than there ever were before and the reason for that is bank tellers now do the more kind of complicated stuff like if you need advice if you need to understand how something works you need to go sit down with your teller and like talk to them. Mm-hmm. And that's, the, that's what humans do best is kind of taking complicated things and doing complicated tasks and the basic, just depositing, withdrawing money that a machine can do. And so it's, I think really allowed humans to double down on the things they do best and leave the basic stuff to the machines. Um, I mean, it's the same reason we have printers today, right? Like it would take me a really long time to write, you know, 30 copies of the same thing and write it by hand. But I have a printer because it can do it a lot faster. So I can focus on, you know, right, typing it up and making sure I get the words right and the spelling right. And so that, I think, is the way I like to think about how technology moves us forward as a society. Um, and, you know, I think no, no time in the near future would I be concerned about, like, any robots, you know, stealing jobs. I think it's going to be quite complementary. And it's going to help us, you know, do more and start to think about what's the next level of building that we need to do. Um, and the last kind of point I'll make on this is, again, history is a good teacher. Every sort of new phase of economic growth in the United States has been when there is some large infrastructure breakthrough. Right? Mm-hmm. It's like, it like the the interstate highway system was built, and like suddenly the whole country's connected. The railroads, like, yeah, sure, there was some like big capitalists doing their thing, but we all benefited from the railroads kind of connecting the country, transporting oil around, pipelines, like all of this stuff. Like it's the reason that when I flip my light switch at home, I I get power. And so I think it's easy to take some of that stuff for granted, but it was all built on the backs of big breakthroughs in how we build. And I think that I'm really excited for the next 50 years. Like I think we're about to hit like the new era of construction in the US. And um, I really hope that the people that run this country like really, you know, put the resources to work and really invest in in the infrastructure that obviously is is crumbling. But I think that if we do that with new tools and do it in kind of new ways, uh, there's a lot of opportunity that we'll unlock.
0: Yeah. I wish everyone looked at it like that. I I, I guess there's this weird insecurity too. If If you tell someone, like if you told me like, Oh, hey, Aaron, um, you've been doing a great job. Like you do, you do really great work, but hey, we we bought this machine and, and now it can just do what you do. It, it, there's this yeah. weird insecurity yeah. th- thinking that you can be replaced by a machine. It kind of, it, it it's kind of a hit to the ego, but you need to totally. look past that. And, and instead of just being all bent out of shape about it, okay, so now my time is freed up to go add value elsewhere. I need to go reinvent myself. I can't just be the same uh, do the same old thing I've been doing for the last 20 years, but that might not be a bad thing that that's now I get to go learn new skills and go apply my mind elsewhere and go create a whole new career for myself. There's, there's a, there's so much opportunities. You can look at it two ways. You can get totally. super bummed out about it, or you can be, you can look at it what I believe is the right way. Be super optimistic. Okay. What is this now allowing me to do that? I haven't been able to do before.
1: Yeah. Oh, so. I, I love that way of thinking, but I know, I mean, that's, you know, for the, for the realists out there, sometimes that can be a really hard way to think about the world so positively. Um, but one kind of one counterpoint I'd make to that is I think the important thing to remember and remind ourselves is that this is not replacing anyone yeah. because it's not capable of doing what you do, Joe. Um,
0: yeah. you know, yeah.
1: it can, it can do a very small piece of what you can do today. So let it do the small piece and you, Joe, get to go do what you do best and just continue to do that. Uh, mm-hmm. But focus on what you do best and leave the like stuff that anyone, like not anyone, but like you know most operators could do. Uh, leave that to the machine, but then now you get to focus on the thing that you really excel at and that you can the, the craftsmanship, right? Like the reason we call it craft workers is because there is a sort of artistry to what these people are capable of. And so I think where they really shine is where they get to apply that and not on the kind of mundane, basic task that it's the same everywhere. And I think that's really maybe a a good way for them to look at it too. So we don't have to be overly optimistic about, oh, this robot can do everything I can do and I just have to be like chill with it. I think it's more about, um, this robot can't do what you can do. It can do a very small subset of that and now you get to focus on the thing
0: that you, you know that makes you a craft worker. Makes perfect sense. It's adding, not subtracting. And if you ask an operator, like tell me about something wild back in the day, They'll always talk to you about how they used a piece of equipment for some weird application or did some crazy (laughs) feat with it. Not, yeah, I dug this great looking trench. Like, no, 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 no. They're going to tell you some, like where they did something that no one else could do. That's what they're really proud of. So I I agree. And I bet you that story in the next five years is
1: going to be, I had a robot digging a trench, then something on the job site changed, or we needed a scramble and, you know, and so I flipped the switch, I hopped in the cab, I took over and I manually kind of like, you know, finessed it or like I, I took over and I, I fixed it up yeah. and then I set the robot back on its, on its way. While, and that's really, I think what's
0: going to happen. While verbally berating the robot, stupid robot, idiot yeah, robot. Billy. Yeah. Yeah.
1: You The robot will have a name. <laughs> yeah. Right? So. Yeah. 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 You'll be called
0: by name. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Well, this is, uh, I, I. we've we've talked about everything I want to talk about. Is there anything else we need to touch on that you're commonly asked, talk about, wanted to discuss?
1: No, I mean, I think your questions have been spot on. And I'm really grateful that we had the chance to get on here and kind of speak directly to folks and, um, you know, present what we're working on. And, and, you know, our ears are open. We're always interested in learning, uh, learning about the industry, learning about how people think about it. Um, if there's something we've overlooked or, or you know, we could think better about, you know, we'd love to hear that. Um, and then Aaron, I also want to just commend you and, and your team on, you know, what you guys have been doing. I've been following you guys on Instagram for a long time now, and it's just so fun. And I think you guys have really brought to life what a lot of the world just didn't get to see this insider's perspective on this on these industries, construction, mining, um, that really make the wor- world work. Um, but they don't get their, their due credit. And, um, and there's just so much fascinating stuff happening out there. So I really appreciate what you guys have been doing.
0: It's, it's awesome. Well, thank you. Yeah. It's, uh, it's a lot of fun. We get to see a lot of cool stuff and it, we're only getting started like you, you guys are only scratch the surface exactly. here. Um, totally. so if people want to learn more about your, robots and what they are doing and how they do it, where do they go to learn more?
1: Just go to builtrobotics.com. robotics.com. Uh, that's our website. And uh, you can, uh, you can see some videos, you can kind of get more information on what's going on and what this technology really looks like. Uh, there's some kind of examples of work we've done with some of our partners. Um, but yeah, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, and, uh, you know, always looking for uh, new perspectives and, and new folks to work with uh, as, we, as we get these robots
0: out there in the world. Awesome. Well, Gaurav, I appreciate all your time today. Thanks for talking about robots. And uh, hopefully I can see one of your machines out in the field doing its thing soon. I'd love to actually see, its, see it doing its, doing its thing out in the real world. We'll get that in the books. That sounds great. Let's awesome. do it. Awesome. All right. All right. And uh, I think that's, uh, that's another episode for us. So as I mentioned, we have no advertising. This is not a profitable venture whatsoever. Um, this is purely for people's enjoyment. Love all the messages we get about the podcast. It's been really cool to see. So if if anything, if you could just continue to share the podcast, if you enjoyed this episode, go send it to a friend, go send it to a family member that might not even care about dirt. They might learn something special, Some uh, like a plastic surgeon reached out the other day. Wow, you know, I have no interest in dirt, but there are just so many parallels to dirt and plastic surgery. Who knew? Um, To try to spread the word about the dirt world and what we have going on in it. And with that, we'll see you on the next episode of Dirt Talk.